0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. As a member of Morrison Hill Christian Church, not just as minister, but as a member, I really appreciated the sermon series that John had on the great adventure. Hope you remember that one. The series was really insightful because as John pointed out, in everything that's going on in this world today, there's a story going on. It's a divine story. It's God's story. And we have been invited into that story for this last chapter, the very climax of it all. So we're a part of that story. The story that is is now is building the kingdom and we're, we're working with God on that. Now we're not the main characters, but our part, even though it may seem totally insignificant, is not insignificant. God has a plan for each one of us And as His children who've chosen to accept Christ as our Savior and surrender to the Lordship of Christ in our life, we've given ourselves to God. And so we are partnering with God in this plan for building the kingdom in the places where we live and in the places where we travel. Now, we know that the kingdom of God that we're a part of and the one we're building now is only a foretaste And just a foreshadowing of the kingdom of God for eternity. Nevertheless, I want us to realize that with every person we lead to Christ, every new Christian that we disciple, every new Christian that's welcomed into the wonderful fellowship that we have here of loving one another, and with every service that we can render to those in need, we're partnering with God and working at building that kingdom. Now our part, for me, it's exciting. It's very fulfilling, I hope it is for you too. But there are so many obstacles and it's not easy. And here's the reason. We are trying to defeat another kingdom. It's an enemy kingdom, an evil kingdom. So we we have this going on, but we're called not just to be saved, we are called to live our lives the way that God created us to live. And we're to share the gospel. We're to make disciples who will make disciples. The only problem is those who are not a member of the kingdom that we're trying to reach are not really a very receptive audience to the gospel of Christ. And here's why. Uh, as we near the end of the God's period of grace, the people that in this world that, that He loves, that He's trying to save, are so full of insecurity, fear, and distrust, and uncertainty about their lives, so much so that they're more concerned with trying to survive the problems and the stresses that they have in this life, and they're not really worried about eternity. Now, I understand this about worrying about this life because there's sickness, pain, tragedies, evil, injustice, immorality, thievery, hatred, murders, war, poverty, starvation, and death. And God is calling us to live with Him in an eternity of paradise where none of these things will ever exist again. But far too many live thinking only of what they want in this life and give no thought, no thought at all of what they should want for eternity. Now the scriptures make it clear that God does not want anyone to perish. So building the kingdom of God, we need to have some loving conversations with non-believers, with our loved ones and our friends about preparing for eternity. And we're running out of time. We don't like to think about death. But I wanna share some statistics with you that just really floor me. We have to realize here that uh, all of this society that we're working with and we ourselves have a terminal disease. It's called mortality. We're all going to die. We don't like to think about that, but worldwide, three people die every second. 180 die every minute. And there's 11,000 that die every hour. And if the Bible is right about what happens after this life, and it is, then 250,000 people every day go to either heaven or hell. And many go unprepared. Now, we all like to think about living. We tend to avoid the thought of death except when it's forced upon us. But knowing that we're all going to die, Christians and non-Christians alike, I think we need to follow the example of Philip of Macedon. He commissioned one of his servants once a day to come in his presence and say, Philip, you're going to die. And then he had to think about that. All people are destined to die once, and after that the judgment. And if we would do, it would do us all good if we would just reflect on our mortality daily. We can't forget that the thoughts, the words, the actions, the choices that we make during our brief stay here on this earth will matter for eternity and the world to come. And we need to remind ourselves daily that our lives are being examined by God and that the only appraisal of our lives that really matters is His. And in building the kingdom here, we're trying to lead as many people as possible into accepting the eternal life with God in heaven. But we also need to lovingly get them to thinking about what we're trying to save them from. And here's the reality that we all must accept and deal with. There is a resurrection to eternal life. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the clearest evidence that eternal life is real. And eternal life will be either with God or a life in torment in hell forever. And because this life passes so quickly and often ends unexpectedly. Nothing else in this life matters except to secure our eternal destiny with Christ in heaven. Nothing else takes precedence over that. But Satan has created several obstacles of confusion in the minds of the people that we need to bring to Christ. There are many who have trouble accepting the reality of hell because they all believe that heaven is our default destination. We all go to heaven. Unfortunately, this isn't true. But they, believing that, never see the necessity of changing their lives. They try to live a good life and keep themselves from doing anything really bad. And they hope that they're good enough to merit salvation without a saving relationship with Christ. And then they never accept Christ as their Savior and Lord but we need to remember the words of Jesus. He said, "'Wide is the gate, and broad is the road "'that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. "'But small is the gate, and narrow the road "'that leads to life, and only a few find it.'" Heaven is not our default destination. But without this saving relationship with Christ, this leaves only one other alternative, and that's eternal hell. And those who've not accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord, those who aren't secure in their relationship with Christ should fear death. Hell is the single greatest tragedy in the universe. It's not going to be like it's often portrayed in the comic books. It's a place of constant Permanent, eternal misery. It will be a place of conscious punishment for sin with no hope of relief. We can't deny the endlessness of hell, or we minimize Christ's work on the cross and we cancel the necessity of what God had to do to save us from our sins. But still, Satan wants to minimize the belief in the eternal torment in hell. And here's why. He wants unbelievers to have less fear about rejecting Christ. And if he can get Christians to saying, oh, it won't be all that bad, we're going to lose our motivation to share the gospel with those people who need to be saved. So we've got work. I think, well, here's what Christ said. He talks about it being eternal, and he says, "'They will be punished with everlasting destruction "'and shut out from the presence of the Lord "'and the majesty of His power.'" Elsewhere in Matthew, he says, "'To those who are not welcomed into the kingdom, "'Depart from me, you who are cursed, "'into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels.'" I think if we only understood more about the holiness of God and understood even more about our own sinful nature, we would be shocked, not that some people would go to hell, but that any of us would even be permitted to be with God. But God's taken care of that through Christ. And for us who are trying to build the kingdom, the reality of losing friends and family and loved ones to hell should really just break our hearts, drive us to our knees, and drive us to the doors of those people who need to accept Christ as their Savior. The reason why, like we said, death often comes unexpected. They could die at any time. We need to realize that because oftentimes, we're just as guilty in putting off talking with people who need to hear. And this voice that always tries to get in our head and get in their heads and say, there's no hurry. You can wait till later. That's not God's voice. That's the devil because he wants you to miss heaven. He wants you to join him in his misery. Now, we need to realize this, there is a hurry, there is a need. God says, don't wait, today is the day of salvation. And I want to take just a break here and talk to the people who are joining us in live stream, and you here in the audience. If there's anyone tuning in, or that's here in the audience, and you know, that you're not ready. And if you died unexpectedly, well, you know what's gonna happen. He wants you to miss heaven. And I I just wanna say, don't miss heaven. Make your decision for Christ today. Now, let's get back into the message. We're working to build the kingdom of God and populate heaven to the fullest that we can. But do you know that what really concerns me And and I think when I mention this, you're gonna say, you're you're right. Here's the problem. Uh, Many Christians lack a real passionate anticipation and a strong longing for being with our Father and our Savior in heaven. For you, how long has it been since you've just really thought about, oh, how wonderful it's gonna be? You know, we don't do that. I think I know why. In seminaries and Bible schools and churches across the USA and around the world there's very little teaching about our ultimate destination with Christ. We're told how to get to heaven and that it's a better destination than hell, but we're taught very little about heaven. How much do we really know? Now how can we be longing for heaven? when we have an impoverished theology and a lack of knowledge about heaven? And how can we expect our children to get excited about heaven, or even stay excited about heaven once they grow up if they can't see that same excitement in us? Why do we talk so little about heaven? And why is it the, the little that we have to say is so vague and so lifeless and dreamy and not real? I think many Christians want to go to Heaven, but only because they know it's going to be better than going to Hell. We don't really know what we're going to experience there. Sometimes people fear death. But here's here's some good news, according to a Barna Research Group poll, a majority of Americans still continue to believe that there is life after death and that there is a Heaven and Hell. Good, right? No, it's not because people are cutting and pasting religious views from a variety of different sources, television, movies, conversations with friends, but not much from the Scriptures. And they believe that the view that they've come up with is valid, because they're rejecting the Word of God. What people, even Christians, actually believe sometimes is just so far from the truth. And I want to read you something that I found in my reading that I couldn't hardly believe. Randy Alcorn, in his book about heaven, quoted a pastor who said, "'Whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. I can't stand the thought of the endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. Can you imagine? He has no concept of what's coming, what God's preparing, and the reward that He wants to give us. But I found something else. John Eldridge in his book, The Journey of Desire, wrote this. Nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We have settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky. You ever thought about this? It's not going to be like that. But we think about things like that that are not accurate, and our heart just sinks. And we say, that's it? Forever and ever? That's the good news? And then we feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. So where do we get these misconceptions well, ultimately, it's, it's the work of Satan. He's the father of lies, and some of his best lies are about heaven. And Satan doesn't need to convince us that heaven doesn't exist. The way he'll defeat us is just to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. Not much to do, don't know what we're in for, not excited about it, And if we believe this lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and the anticipation, and we'll set our minds on this life. And even worse, we won't even be motivated to share our faith. We want them to go to this? No, heaven is so much more. But with the people who reject God's Word and form their own views— It's because they see so much evil, so much chaos and tragedy in the world, and their own lives are filled with so many difficulties, problems, and stresses, they choose not to believe in a God whom they can't see and who is supposedly in control of this world. So, to them, God's Word is no longer accepted as truth or even a valid guide on how to live life. There's not only a lack of belief in God's truth, there's a desire to remove any restrictions in the Word of God that would prevent them from having what they want or what they want to do. But there's hope. I want to share one thing that I believe is hopeful. And I think this can unite non-Christians and Christians in this one thing, and it'll help us draw them to Christ. The common unity that we have is we all want good in life, right? This opens the door to so many hearts because people don't realize that our trying to make good out of life is just merely God's image stamped on our souls. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the human heart. And there is something within us that knows there's more to this life than just life. And we long for something more because there is more, much more. And the fact that people lose faith when life doesn't make any sense actually underscores and highlights and serves as a reminder that there is something in us still that longs for this ordered, moral, and purposeful world and it comes from the someone who made us that we tend to ignore. But listen, this desire for happiness is like a signpost pointing to heaven and every longing that we have for better health, less stress, more security, better relationships, more beautiful environment. This is just a longing for heaven that God has put in our hearts. And every taste of joy that we have in this life is just a small foretaste of a greater, more vibrant joy than we can find anywhere in anything on this earth. This earth will never be paradise before Christ returns but God is calling us to live with him in a paradise of love and righteousness that he's preparing where no evil of any kind will ever exist. Now, C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, and we are, we are. So why is an exciting, joyous anticipation lacking? Where is the longing to be with our Heavenly Father and our Savior? Well, there's one thing that I found. We, it's hard to anticipate anything that we can't imagine. And so we don't spend much time imagining what it's going to be like. We don't allow ourselves to imagine. But I think God wants us to imagine because this creates that longing and that desire to be in that place of eternal good. If God didn't want us to imagine what heaven would be like, He wouldn't have told us as much about it as He has. And God has given us glimpses of heaven in the Bible to kindle our imagination and to kindle a desire in our hearts Now, I would be wrong in this message to mention anything not specifically mentioned in the Scriptures. But there is more that is mentioned and alluded to than I have time to mention in this message. And I want you, as you read your Bible, look for these. They're there. Sometimes we don't know if it's metaphor or this is going to be reality, but it's still pointing us to the good that we want that God has placed in our hearts there. So, with what we do know about heaven, we need to start doing some imagining about heaven will be like, and I want to just take a little bit of time, I don't have a lot of time to do this, but I want us to take a little bit of time to do this, even if you want to just close your eyes, but I want you to just think, what's it going to be like, your first moment there in heaven, and what you will see from what you've read in the Scriptures, And what a great and wonderful joy it will be to see our Father, our great Creator God in all of His glory. And I like that song saying, I can only imagine. Am I going to be able to sing or am I going to be able to speak? We don't know. But this barrier that has kept us from being able to see and experience God in so many ways is going to be removed and we will see and be with and enjoy His company. And we're all going to get to just embrace our Savior in inexplicable joy and thankfulness for being our sacrifice that made forgiveness possible so that we could be with God forever and ever like this. And in this paradise that He's prepared for us, there is no more evil temptation, no tragedies, no hate, no prejudice, no injustice. I want you to just think of all those things that are part of this world that have brought you so much pain and heartache in your life here. And then rejoice because they won't be there. It'll be a paradise of righteousness. Now we do know that we'll have bodies that will never experience pain, illness, or death ever again. There will be an eternal, glorious, amazing city prepared for us on a completely renovated earth, an eternal earth with greater beauty than anything that we've seen in this life anywhere in this world. And God wants us to imagine what heaven's going to be like. But let me tell you something, to imagine what this eternal heaven is going to be like, don't look to the clouds. Just look around you and imagine what all of this would be like without sin, without death, without suffering, without corruption, and seeing people smiling and joyful, not arguing and angry and depressed. Try to imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been and now realize that in heaven everywhere you look, there will be astounding beauty. God doesn't create secondary stuff that's nothing and unpleasant to look at. He's gonna glorify himself in what he prepares. Another thing that I hope you've been doing, I know a lot of us do this, think of friends and family members who've loved Jesus and are with Him now. And picture yourself with them again. What a reunion. Walking together, enjoying your healthy, free, pain, energetic bodies. You're laughing, playing, talking, and reminiscing. And then you see someone special coming, and it's Jesus And later on, there will be time to get to know Abraham, Moses, Paul, all the great heroes of faith, and to see those angelic beings that are there in thousands, hundreds of thousands. I can only imagine, but God wants us to imagine. Heaven is going to be this great adventure, not dying, that's when this life ends, But it starts in eternal life then. And that's the great adventure to live and be a part of that great adventure. People remember that we've got to be a part of the great adventure in this life now. That adventure of partnering with God, building the kingdom. Are we fulfilling our part? By God's grace, we must use the time we have left on this present earth to store up for ourselves treasures. To present at Christ's feet there in heaven. And we will reap in eternity what we've planted in this life, every service to the needy, every dollar given to feed the hungry, every cup of cold water given to the thirsty, every investment in missions, every prayer for the needy and the sick, every moment spent caring for precious children, and every effort invested in evangelizing this world. There will be rewards for this. And I think it's greater rewards than what we could even imagine, but we can try. Now, my prayers for this message are this. The main goal I wanted to accomplish is this. I would like for you to begin and then strengthen your practice or your discipline of living each day at one time during that day, anticipating and longing for the new world that Christ is preparing for us. And then living in such a way that you won't miss it. Now here's a Scripture that has helped me immensely. I want to share it with you and I want it to help you. It's from Colossians, the first uh, third chapter, verses 1 through 4. But it's got two commandments in there that I want to share with you. There's a direct command to set our hearts on heaven. And this is what it says, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And to make sure that we don't miss the importance of this heaven-centered life. The next verse says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This Greek word that's translated set your hearts denotes a diligent, active, single-minded search or quest. So we're to diligently, actively set our hearts and minds on things above making sure by the way that we live our lives that we will be in heaven and experience all that God is preparing for us. The reason I want you to do this is because it'll make a difference in your life. I know it will. Setting our hearts and minds on heavens makes a difference. When we meditate on heaven, sin doesn't seem so appealing anymore. Neither does all of the meaningless stuff that we have in this life just loses its significance altogether because of how wonderful heaven is. And a man who gives sustained thought to the heaven where Christ is now and the new earth where we will live forever with Him does not remain unchanged. He changes, becomes a new person. If we set our minds on heaven, and make that a discipline. Then we need to maintain that discipline and pass it on, because we know this command to set our hearts on heaven's mind is under attack in a hundred different ways every day. Our minds are so much on the problems that we face in this life that we're just not accustomed to taking time to think about heaven but it really will produce great changes in our life. And C.S. Lewis said this, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. In 1952, Florence Chadwick determined to swim from the shore of uh, Catalina Island to the mainland of California. The day that she decided to do this, it was so foggy, she could hardly see the boats that were accompanying her. And she still swam for 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken out of the water at one point, her mother told her she was close and could make it. But finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out into the boat. And it wasn't till she was on the boat that she discovered she was less than a half a mile from the shore. And at the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Now for us as Christians, that shore that we want to reach is heaven. Be with our Father, our Savior, in the place that He's preparing for us to live forever. Yet there is so much in this life working against us, occupying our thoughts and keeping us from thinking about our mortality, about eternity, about heaven. And focusing our lives on the problems that we face in this life creates this mental and spiritual fog. We forget who we are, and all that is ours in Christ. We forget about eternity. But keeping our hearts and our minds on that paradise and that reward that awaits us enables us to see through the fog of all these distractions and we can know we're closer than we realize. And the Holy Spirit will strengthen and energize us to remain faithful and we'll make it. We see the shore. Take time each day, each week, look for the shore. Set your minds on those things, not the things here. And watch what Christ does in your life. You'll be anxious to share the gospel with other people you'll know it's real. And we don't want anyone going there, do we? And yet there will be people if we don't reach them and bring them to Christ. Set your minds on on heaven and help other people set their mind to be in heaven also. Whatever decision you need to make in your life To change things to make that who you are I want you to do that today you may not need to come forward that's okay the invitation is open if you want to if you want to come forward and pray that's great if you've been attending here for a while and you see you've already made the decision I want to be a part of this congregation and their ministries invite you to come forward make that known and we can welcome you into our membership but whatever this is a time Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts now for any decisions that you need to make as we stand and sing.